Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri. And today we're going to be talking cooking, not necessarily cooking, cooking and the traditions and recipes behind it. We're going to be talking with Rosella Rago from Cooking with Nona, and it was a fun episode, wasn't it, Dolores? Yeah, it was, Anthony. Rosella's kind of a kindred spirit to us, you know? I mean, she's this young woman who is really kind of dedicating her work to preserving Italian traditions. And of course, you know, who doesn't love a good recipe from Nona? So it was really a lot of fun. It was easy to talk to her. Like, we've known her forever. Definitely. And are you saying I'm a young woman? Or... <laughs> Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean, a young person. I just wanted to get the listeners to hear your laugh because they're always asking for it. There you go. You did a good job. All right. So, no, it was a lot of fun, though. Rosella was great. And she really just, she's Italian. That's the only way I can describe her. She's Italian. Sure. You can hear it in everything she says and everything she's doing online with her cooking show. And we are going to jump into the episode here in a minute. But before I formally introduce Rosella, We'd like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NEF, we see ourselves as the leaders of the Italian American community, and we work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, our work provides young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode, Rosella Rago. Rosella is the host of the online cooking show and food webisode series, Cooking with Nona, and the recent winner of the Food Network 24-hour restaurant battle, Battle Italiano. Rosella is a first-generation Italian-American from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, where she was born into a family of culinary aficionados and food lovers. Her deeply rooted heritage finds its source in Mola di Bari, located in the Puglia region of Italy, a small fishing village more commonly referred to simply as Mola. Her parents were born there, and she talks a lot about her dad in this episode, which is really, really, really touching and what he did for her. Both the passion of her parents, native languages, and her experiences in high school propelled her to choose Italian as her concentration in college. In the spring of 2009, she graduated from St. John's University with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Italian literature. She's fluent in both Italian and her native dialect, which is also amazing. Inspired by her love of food, her passion for entertaining and acting, as well as her love for her family and community, in 2009, Rosella launched the Cooking with Nona show. Cooking with Nona features recipes passed down throughout the generations that are simple to make, delicious, and rich in their history. And there's so much more in this episode from her book that's coming out. It's really, really amazing. So let's just get right into it. Dolores, why don't you give us a quote to carry us into the interview? Sure. This is from Martin Scorsese. If your mother cooks Italian food, why should you go to a restaurant? Before we start the interview with Rosella, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for today's interview segment, Nona Box. 
Like so many Italians and Italian-Americans, I longed for a taste of home after moving to the U.S. four years ago, says Guido Pedrelli, founder of Nona Box. Every month, Nona Box features a different Italian region by selecting six of its gourmet artisanal imported products. In showcasing the region, Nona Box also shares the story of a regionally local Italian Nona, along with three of her favorite traditional recipes. Some of these recipes use products from the box. Each box also comes with cards that include the gastronomic history of the region, as well as explanations about the box's products, serving suggestions, and even regional wine pairings from an Italian sommelier. Visit nonabox.com and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for $10 off of your order. Guido's doing a great job with this business. Please support him. I have a Sicilian box on the way to my house, and as soon as I go through it, I'm going to give you a little bit of an update on that. All right, here we go. So now it's time for the main segment of our show, and we're thrilled to welcome in Rosella Rago from Cooking with Nona. Rosella, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to finally speak with you. You and I have been following each other on Instagram for some time. So I feel like I know you already, but it's nice to actually sit down and have a <laughs> chat here. Rosella, we usually start every show by just asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their Italian-American upbringing, kind of where it all began. Sure. I love talking about these things. I kind of made a career out of it. Yes, you so. did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a first-generation Italian-American. My parents were both in that last wave of immigrants from Puglia, Italy, from a little town called Mola di Bari. They're both from there. And they immigrated, my father in the late 60s and my mother in uh, the late 70s. Before that, my grandparents had immigrated here separately, but again, from the same small village. Everyone from my village settled in the downtown Brooklyn area, the Carroll Gardens area. And then they all spread out to Bensonhurst, where I grew up. I was born and raised in this microcosm of people from Mola di Bari, not just Italian people and not just Pugliese people or Bari's people. Everyone I knew in my reality was from Mola di Bari. It was such a fantastic way to grow up. I went to Italy for the first time when I was seven years old, and then it became a tradition because people from Moldibadi, as I'm sure many, uh, especially southern Italian villages, it's uh, your last day of school, you know, your bags are packed and you get shuttled to the airport and you were like, where are we going? And then, you know, <laughs> like, no, no, we're, we're just, we're going to stay a little bit, a little bit. And then, you know, do you come back the August 31st and start school like immediately after. Just in time to go to school the next day. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I grew up that way. I grew up in a three family house and my nonna lived downstairs and my best friend whose family was also from Oladibadi lived two blocks away from me. We went to church and we went to, we have, Oladibadi has five clubs, five cultural clubs. So wow. we were always events and processions and we had a beauty pageant for crying out loud it's always amazing when you hear these stories because we heard them all the time i, mean, I heard them from my grandmother it's like you're taking a village in italy and you're literally like moving it like you're picking it up and you're moving it and you're putting it down somewhere in the united states and it's like you know you have the community around you and if you didn't kind of go outside of those couple of blocks at that time it would almost seem like you were there I mean, in a lot of ways. There are more people from Mola di Bari in Brooklyn, Staten Island, and New Jersey than there are in Mola di Bari. There are about 30,000 in Italy, and there are about 100,000 here. Did you have that kind of experience of not knowing that your upbringing was different like until you got older? Not even. I didn't even have to wait until I got older because everybody who came here was looking for a better life. My grandmother was widowed at 29 and had to come here. She had to leave my mother in Italy, bring my only my uncle here. You know, I know it's very Sophie's choice and, you know, go to work in a house with living with a lot of her sisters and her mother and made men's coats for $40 a week. 
And that was in Carroll Gardens. You know, now everybody wants to live in Carroll Gardens. But at the time, I asked her, I was like, no, no, why did you leave there? And she's like, well, we were all on top of each other. You know, nobody had a backyard. And at the time, Bensonhurst was kind of, I don't want to say underdeveloped, but it just seemed, you know, more sprawling to them. They all moved to Bensonhurst. And then my parents skipped a step instead of going from Bensonhurst to Staten Island, because once you get used to one place, you want even more space. My parents, when I was seven years old, started preparing my brother and I I have one brother. They said, we're going to move to New Jersey. And I was like, what? New Jersey? (laughs) And at first, no, no, no. I was excited because mind you, we lived in a house. We were all on top of each other. The same thing. I had my own room, but it was like a really small room and my nonna lived downstairs and, you know, it just seemed so great. And everybody was coming over all the time. And my mother was getting like sick of everybody's got to come over here all the time, you know, (laughs) we wanted to move away. And then, you know, they started explaining it to me and like, you know, you're going to live, we moved to Montville, New Jersey. And they're like, I'm going to live in somewhere that has Ville at the end of it. (laughs) Instead of Villa. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's only in like TV, you know, they were like, you're going to have this really big room. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so great. Oh, my God. So we moved and I hated it. As soon as we got there, I hated it. And my mother hated it. I just remember that moment of being aware that we were alone. <laughs> we were very much alone and it was in the middle of we moved in the middle of January and it was snowing and there wasn't a neighbor around homes are all like a mile apart and then in about the first week we it fully sink in we are the only Italians here yeah (laughs) we are the only like Italian Italians here and then my mother started trying to meet people and I remember the lady across the street who didn't really cook she was like, you know, what did you make your husband for dinner last night? And the lady's like, I just made some scrambled eggs and like the look of horror on my mother's face. And she's like, oh my God, no, I can't let that happen. I have some chicken cutlets. I'll bring it over. And my mother had to feed everybody there. But we really did appreciate what we had here in Brooklyn. You know, it seems like it's kind of easy in hindsight to... Like, when I hear stories like that, I guess, I think, didn't everyone know that was going to happen? You know, yeah. why did everyone move? But, <laughs> so we could have really grown up that way. But I think it's just hindsight's twenty twenty. It's looking at it with knowledge people didn't have then. You know, they were just thinking bigger, more. They left out the other part that was like, but you're, you're taking away this community, which is really important. Yes, the community, the family, so much that makes us who we are as Italian-Americans you're kind of ripping us from those roots when you do those things. I feel so fortunate because I feel like I was able to realize that and I ran back as soon as I was 18. Oh, you moved back. Yeah. I was going to ask you how you, because what we've talked about on the show quite a bit, especially with some of the women we've had on, like Maria Lorino, who wrote the uh, the PBS Italian Americans uh, companion book. She talked a lot about, in some of her other books, about this whole idea of a struggle of like the, the Italian American identity as you get into your teens. And, you know, I was going to ask you how that was going for you. And it sounds like at 18, you kind of went back. Was that because you just like missed it? Or what was it? Tell us about that. I mean, those 10 years that I lived in suburban New Jersey, I rebelled constantly. I didn't fit in. I was the weird Italian kid with the Nutella sandwich. I was odd. I felt odd and I felt out of place. And, you know, one thing about, especially about being first generation Italian American is that you always feel too Italian for Americans and you always feel too American for Italians. You know, you kind of only really, truly understand other first-generation Italian-Americans. There was one family, the Caravellas, fabulous people, very Sicilian people, and the daughter was 11 years older than me. But we became best friends when I was 13. I would run around with this girl. We hung out and did Italian things together. Yeah, uh, you had that in common. And it was incredibly bonding, even though we were a generation apart, pretty much, 
because you're and every weekend I was running back and I would stay with my Nana every single weekend. Every single weekend, if I had to take the bus and the train, my nonna would come, would take the train to Manhattan and meet me at Port Authority and take me to her house. Wow, you weren't playing. No, I, I <laughs> wasn't having it. I just was not, ha- it just didn't, it didn't feel right and it didn't feel like home. And I feel so fortunate that at that age, you know, I'm a millennial, I can have anything I want tomorrow, today, Amazon Prime, come on, you know. And I had more, you know, I had the bigger room in a bigger house and stuff and pretty things and stuff that people want just because they want it. There's something so incredibly comforting about when I'm here and I'm in this neighborhood, despite all its changes and it's going through this kind of uh, cultural renaissance right now. It's not exactly an Italian neighborhood anymore. And my aunt is still alive. My grandma's the oldest of seven children, and um, my aunt and her are two years apart, so they're very close. And my aunt lives a few blocks from me, right near 18th Avenue. And in the midst of all this stuff, I can walk inside that house and see a sofa covered in plastic and Baroque furniture and a phone with a cord and cable, but only for two channels, Rye and Mediaset. That's it. And, you know, the house always smells like focaccia and taralli. There's such a purity there. There's such um, a comfort there. I feel sad because the sand in the hourglass is running out on that as well. Mm, That's a great way to put it. Because when you started saying that, the first thing that goes through my mind is all the people that I've lost and who were that for me. And then the the few that are left and it's, it can kind of drive you to want to like lay in your bed with the covers over your head. When you think of like the times running out on it, those older Italians, they're not going to be here forever. You know, it's not the same. That's exactly true. And it's so much like, we're living in this last generation. And I call yeah. it, I mean, for what I do, I call it the last generation of Nanda, which is why I continue to do what I do, which is basically the driving force that I got to do it while they're all still here. I got to document things while they're all still here because you don't realize how much gets lost between a generation. You know, my mother is not my grandmother. I'm not my mother. So, Roselle, you're, you're mentioning your passion for the traditions and for what you're doing now. And some of our listeners probably, you know, aren't aware, but even though we introduced you, let's talk about how you got from, you went back and, you know, you have this connection with your family there. And then eventually it turned into cooking with Nona. Take us on that path. Okay. Well, cooking with Nona is a web series and I cook with a different Italian or Italian American Nona every, in every episode. And I try and do a super traditional recipe either from where she's from or just something that is a favorite of her family. I try and do a bio about the Nona, get to know her better. We do like a slideshow of photos from when she was young to when she was older. That all happened to me. I like to say I know it sounds trite or cliche or something, but cooking with Nona chose me in a weird way. I was certainly not, wasn't what I brought to school in career day or anything. Right. I, for like a little bit about my background is my parents, my father has a telecommunications engineering background and my mother is an actress, uh, is an artist actually in every sense of the word. She acts, she paints, she writes. So My parents were these two very different people from the same town, people that I would equate to being Italian-American hippies, sort of, for just for the way they act. I mean, yes and no. They were completely, I had a very traditionally untraditional childhood in that respect because my mother uh, was a theater actress in Italy, and then she came here and she wrote seven plays in our native dialect for the community. That's so interesting. Yeah, the plays are so great. I wish I could. I My dream is to kind of reproduce them. Or Absolutely. Like, they're so hilarious. One of them she did in Sicilian and one in Molaise in our dialect. So she, both people got to come and see it. She did it Terrific. with totally different actors full in full dialect and stuff. I was around, I did one of her plays when I was 16, but so I had this, you know, wonderful Renaissance woman as my primary caregiver. 
And my dad, who went to work every day, he worked for Telecom Italia for a long time. I was really blessed with parents that never told me to be realistic. <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could say the same. Oh my God, mine were like the traditional Italian immigrant parents. Like, you gotta, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna support yourself? No, I mean, out of in, love, of course. You know, they're yeah, both. I didn't really know that in a lot of ways. I mean, they were just so traditionally untraditional. That's the best way I could put it. Because in some ways, and maybe it was more my grandma's influence or something, my nonna's influence. When I went to college, I didn't dorm. I wasn't allowed to dorm. Good girls, good Italian girls don't dorm. But at the same time, since my mother was from an acting background, I became an actor when I was 11 years old. My, when I was eight, my mother got a role in the film Sleepers with Jason Patrick and uh, Robert De Niro. And I remember it was her it was her first film audition. Her friend Dino told her about it. It wasn't really like, she didn't have an agent or anything. And she was like, I'm not gonna be in a movie. Are you guys, I do, I do theater. So she goes down there and the guy who she thinks is the casting director tells her, you know, what would you do if your husband comes home drunk? And she said she had a really bad day. So she starts like actually hit, like physically hitting the guy. My mother is one of those people <laughs> that if you sit next to her at dinner, we can't see like new people next to my mother at dinner because she'll beat the crap out of them. Like she'll, <laughs> she's very physical when she tells a story. The guy was not the casting director. It was Barry Levinson, the director. And he loved her. He booked her. She did the film Sleepers. And after that, she put my brother and I into the Italian Actors Union that I don't know if it if it's still around. The Guild of Italian Actors was called GIA. And then after that, we joined SAG. And I was doing this very much throughout my childhood. It became a normal part of my life. And of course, like I did a little bit of modeling when I was, you know, in my teens and stuff. Well, I tried, you know, I'm five foot four. Like, what do you want from me? But um, my father, you're taller than me, so uh, you know. But my father was supportive of all of these things, which was crazy. If anything, I was the one that was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You guys are not like my friends' parents. Like, I need to, you know, I did something bad. You guys have to ground me." And they're like, "What is that? What do you mean? What's grounding?" And I was like, "I don't know, but I saw it on Full House, and that's what happens when the kids are bad. You have to ground them." And I would kind of have to tell them these things, that, you know, to be this way. I was kind of thinking like, no, 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 like my parents are a little, they're too dreamy. Like I have to do something real. So when I went to college, I went to college to become an Italian teacher because that's what good Italian girls from Brooklyn do when they don't know what to do with their lives. So I was like, all right, I majored in um, Italian literature and education at St. John's University, and I started going to school, and I was not going to be a great teacher. I think I knew in my heart that I had a passion for the language, I had a passion for the literature, but I didn't have a passion for teaching. I think it's, it's an incredibly beautiful, noble profession, but I think it's one of those things that's either in you or it's not in you. I'm in college and I'm living in the basement with Nana in my dorm. Like we're sharing a bedroom at this point. <laughs> I had my parents over for dinner one night and putting things away. And my father was like, you know, so what the, what are you going to do with your life? Because we all know you're not going to be a good teacher, bro. And I'm like, well, really? You all know? And he's like, yes, we all know. <laughs> We've been talking about it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're not around, just what Italian families do. Yeah, it's not for you. And I'm like, okay, well, and he's like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I just blurted out. I was like, I should have a cooking show. That's the greatest job in the world. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we should call it cooking with Nonna. As my grand, you could hear my grandma like shuffling with her slippers through the basement, like putting stuff away. And she, and she probably turns and was like, Jaya, like what? And uh, she just heard her name and turned around. He's like, yeah, yeah, we'll do, we'll do Nona's recipes. Like, nobody does that. And I was like, yeah, funny, Dad. That's great. We just thought it was funny that night. And then a week later, my dad bought the web domain cookingwithnona.com. And he emailed it to me. And I was like, oh, seriously? Like, okay, good. Have fun with this. And then he built a set. The island that we cook on, Myrolaway Island, he built that. 
that's in my parents' house in New Jersey. They still live in New Jersey. But um, (laughs) then we just started figuring out how to do videos. I mean, at that time, I don't think you can look at an industry that has changed more in the past 10 years than like YouTube and filming and those kinds of things. Because 10 years ago, you really, when I started in 2009, 2008, really, I started filming things you needed like one of those big cameras and now I could basically shoot the whole show on my iPhone. So everything was just so different and we didn't know what we were doing. And we really were just like, I think I went to the store and I was like, do you have how to host a cooking show for dummies? Cause I need that book. It's like a classic Italian, Italian American story. And we had the Russo brothers directors in the podcast a few episodes ago with a similar type of story where their dad dug into his pension and he gave them some money when they were out of money and just about to give up on their kind of movie that they made on their own, which eventually helped them to make it big because he supported them. It's like the same thing with your dad just had like a feeling and he was going to like support you and he was going to kind of like, you know, build you a set if you didn't get it so that you did get it and that you kind of get going, which is great to hear. I mean, it's just, it's just, you hear it. It's great. These stories are wonderful. Listen, I mean, this was 2009, June of 2009. I launched cooking with Nona a year later. I did the food network show 24 hour restaurant battle where I had to open a restaurant in 24 hours against another team. And my team was my mom, myself and my Nona. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, the, and it was like one of those I don't think it's on anymore I mean you had to design the restaurant cook for 100 people uh, I mean we went all out my mother did a mural of the truly of Alberto Bello because she could paint like me and my no I mean there were disasters but I, at the end we won the episode it was a great moment that's why I just feel like this career kind of happened to me and my my family being involved you know I was 21 when I started doing this I'm 29 now and I think you know your 20s are such a transformative decade especially for a young woman and did I go through periods where I didn't think I was gonna make it absolutely absolutely everybody was like you know I hear people say like oh I knew I was meant to be this or that it's like no 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 (laughs) like I I had doubts. There were t- there were rough times. Talking to the right two people, we know that. Yeah, story. but it it doesn't matter. Uh, like it doesn't matter because you have to just believe. And if you're lucky to have family and to have you know, especially an Italian American family that is supportive. My parents dreamed my dream for me, with me, every day. They still do. They really are my strength when I'm weak and the driving force behind me. And I feel so lucky that I didn't have to combat, you know, anything like that because I don't know that I would have made it without them financially, especially. And, you know, there's been my father now works with me. He is my manager. He's like the a producer for cooking with Nona. He helps me in every single aspect of my business you said that you started this eight years ago. So how has the mission and the vision changed over the years? I mean, Anthony and I know that well, you start something and you're kind of feeling your way through it. I would say our show is, you know, has a much stronger vision now than when we started. So I, I know that it changes. Talk a little bit about that. I think at the beginning, I just thought that I was going to do this and it would be cute and maybe some people would like it and you know, I would ask a couple family friends to be on the show. And, you know, my mother has a large network of uh, Italian ladies that, that I pulled from. And I'm really fortunate that that was very organic. The point is, I didn't think that anybody would care about cooking with Nona. I didn't think it would reach this many people. Over the years, when the, the emails started pouring in about maybe it's especially around the holidays, you know, I, I couldn't find this cookie recipe for 20 years and I knew that it had nuts and figs and other stuff in it but I didn't have a recipe or I had a recipe but it's written on a napkin and it's measured in espresso cups and I can't (laughs) you know and um thank you for giving this back to me right it became more of you know this is just something I'm gonna do and it'll be great at least for my family to something that has touched hundreds of families, literally hundreds of families, maybe thousands of families. And 
we have a, a large network, especially on Facebook. We grew to 653,000 fans and a large file, like, and all organically and all with just me and my dad, Vito, you know, plugging away day after day at it. So to see that network grow and that many people to care about what you do and be impacted by what you do and to be moved by what you do is tremendous to me is more than any amount of money I could make or any kind of success milestone, when you really see it in people, in impressions, it's very powerful. And so I think it, it changed for me that way because maybe years ago I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not on TV or I don't know if that'll ever happen to me. And then you get people, especially when you're young, it's really hard because I remember a moment that really did move me. And I, I was actually, it was at an EF gala and I was sitting at the bar with someone who was kind of in the industry. And he said to me, and it was only about three years into maybe my doing cooking with Nona. It was, it was kind of early. For your own business, three years is early. Do not expect to be successful in one year. It takes 10 years we, to be in a We hear that a lot. <laughs> yes. And the guy said to me, he's like, well, why don't you do something else? Because this isn't working out for you. I think I half listened at the time and stopped and said, oh my God, is that guy right? You know, am I really, does, is that it? Just because I'm, I don't have a TV show or a book deal or something, things aren't happening. And when you're in this kind of business, there's no right way to be successful and there's no wrong way to be successful. You know, there's a right way for a lawyer to be successful. There's a right way for a doctor to be successful, a stock, you know, you hit certain milestones, but there's no right way to be successful as a food personality or a cultural food, whatever. Right. I, I don't cultural know. voice or some such. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. The thing is I'm a girl from Bensonhurst and you have to say so freaking what and do whatever the hell you want to do anyway. <laughs> Why do you think the show it does resonate with people? I think the show resonates with people because more than food, it's about nostalgia. Even if you're not Italian, even if you never had a nonna, you probably knew some sweet Italian lady that lived across the street that made amazing cookies that would always bring a tray of cookies over when she made them. And, you know, biting into something like that or smelling something like that is so powerful for people. I wanted to make the show about the women, about the nonna, about the, the ladies that don't think that they're special, first of all, because whenever I, I get Anona, it's very rare that she's like, yeah, sign me up, you know, point the camera. She's usually like, I'm old. What do you want with me? You know? <laughs> and they don't realize that their role in families is so important. You know, they're kind of these hidden figures because they stay in the kitchen, but they cook day after day and feed families real food day after day. And the food is such an important part of, of our culture, of who we are. So I wanted this to be a way to, you know, get them to tell their stories because even a story that, that seems, you know, banal and uninteresting, in most cases, you immigrated from a different land. You had to learn a new language. You had to learn so many things and adapt and make a life somewhere. And to me, that's heroic. For sure. I think what's really cool about doing media work in this community is that what people don't realize is that there are so many Italian Americans out there that resonate with this stuff. They just want to experience it however they can, whether it's a podcast, videos, like you said, having known as they're watching them. And I think like from what we're noticing too, is that, and it's thanks to you out there, the listeners, they just want this because it's, they don't get it. They can't get it anymore. They can't get the memories. They can't get the traditions, which is why your show is, and not to offend the cooking shows in general, when I say it's like more than a cooking show, but it's deeper in that you're cooking and you're making traditions and memories that are going to be lasting for a long time, which is what I know what your intent is. And I think that that's what's so cool about the ability to do this. Like you said, it's a last generation, so to speak, in some ways. And the nice thing about the media is that it gives us this opportunity to, to carry it on, which is so cool. Exactly. I think people are really hungry. I think I started this at, at a time where, especially for the Nona concept, people were hungry for it because it, it wasn't something 
that was in the mainstream media. It's something that was in their memories and something that people definitely recognize. But then you think of today with Instagram and you have that nonna Diamichelina who kind of blew things up in that respect. And I think it's so wonderful that we have these outlets now, that these personalities, you know, like a person like that is someone that maybe you've some like newspaper guy that does profiles would maybe have discovered her passing by her block or sitting on her stoop and talking that way. But, you know, now you have, you have a way to share her with the world. I met so many personalities like that. And all the nonna that I work with have their own little thing and have their own little way about them that really make people smile, that really resonates with someone. And it's about bringing that to the world now because Italian-American characters, there's a reason why everybody, you know, wants to invite an Italian to their dinner party. Um, (laughs) Well, great personalities, good cooks. What more do you want? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Roselle, the show is doing phenomenal. You have a book coming out, correct? Yes, on March 15th is the release date. It's available um, for pre-order right now, though. What's the title? Cooking with Nona. Celebrate food and family with over 100 classic recipes from Italian grandmothers. And we'll list all the links in our episode notes so that all the listeners out there can connect with Rosella. But it looks like you're going to be doing some book signings in the area and you'll be able, you'll be putting all that stuff out through your social media, correct? Yes, absolutely. After March 15th, the month of March is pretty chock full of events and just uh, the 22nd at the New York NEF Gala and everything. So everything's really happening and happening quickly now. Do you have a long, like, next steps for the show? And is it just, like, get the book out from there? I'm trying to focus on the book and just filming more episodes. And then I also do culinary tours to Italy every summer. That's been a part of my business for about four years now. Nice. So you're not busy. Yeah, I'm not busy. You know, I don't want to... not busy at all. It's like the rest of us just hanging out. And I'm also a brand ambassador for Botticelli Food, so I'm a, I create their content now. I exclusively create all of their recipe content on their website, and I do videos for them as well. So Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. The Cooking with Nona Cookbook is a collection of over 100 recipes from 25 different Nona. It's recipes, but it's also their life stories. So... It was absolutely a dream come true of mine to be able to write a book like this and really have, uh, really create the nonna Bible, so to speak, for everyone to take home with them. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of interviewing all the grandmothers, making sure that I, I got all the facts right about them and, you know, going through the recipe testing process. But after doing a book I'm totally in love with like the book writing process and I can't wait to honestly do another one how long did it take you to pull together you know I can do nothing like easily or with enough time or anything I started the process with I you know signed the contract with my publisher in April of 2016 and my entire manuscript was done by August 15th you sound like Anthony. Anthony's written yeah. like seven books in the time that I, I'm still working on getting mine published. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like turns them out. <laughs> I didn't think I could do this, honestly. I, I'm so proud of the book and, and everything in it and all the women in it because, you know, maybe I didn't think that I could have written a book. And I was so fortunate to find the people at um at Quarto and Race Point Publishing my editor actually reached out to me on Facebook and she was like, do you have a book? And I was like, no, no, no. She's like, well, I thought you did, but I guess you don't. Do you want one? And I was like, um, what? And then, you know, you realize that in real life, like nobody gets a ghostwriter unless you're like a real housewife. I was like, well, wait, I have to write the whole book. I have to write the whole thing. <laughs> and then as I started doing it, I realized that it was, it's like, it became my baby and you wouldn't trust anybody else to, with your baby. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't believe that I could ever have thought like, you know, I I need help or something. And it was such an amazing moment to, to feel like I accomplished this. 
And again, this is what happens when you do something you're passionate about, you put all your energy, your effort into it, and you have your family 100% behind you. I think, you know, amazing things happen. It's great, Rosella, that not only are you doing all this, but you're impacting so many people in the Italian-American community that are getting to now see these traditions, these recipes, use them with their family. You know, it's like a ripple effect which is really amazing. And we appreciate that you spent some time with us. And if you want to have the opportunity to, of course, follow Rosella, we're going to give you all the links for her show and for her websites and social media, but you can also get the chance to meet her through one of her book signings. And she'll be at the NEF Gala, uh, which is another great event, which will be in New York City. Rosella, anything else you want to add? I'm actually an honoree this year at the New York Gala. That's right. Uh, that was going to come. That was going to be my next thing. So, okay. uh, <laughs> no, that's okay. No. In uh, case you didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, Dolores. No matter what I do, I wrote, a, I'm an author under 30, but everyone's first question. I'm surprised you haven't asked me, but like you're not married because that's usually everybody's first, <laughs> I the first thing that they want to say. I'm not married either. So I know how it is. And you grow up in an uh, Italian American family and the ants come from Italy and it's always, ma quando de spuse. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Constant. Um, uh, when I did the book, every single, all, all of the nonna were like, where's the ring? You know, so that was a disappointing you conversation can, can, 25 times. You can publish like 20 books and have this great successful show. But what they really want to know is when are you going to get married? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Rosella, you're also going to be honored at NIAF's uh, New York Gala this year. That's pretty exciting. Um, NIAF is, of course, an official sponsor of our show. So we know what a big deal this is. How do you feel about that? It, it was kind of mind-blowing to me when I got the news about it because, um, you know, to be recognized by your own community and appreciated by your own community is the biggest honor because also, you know, Italian-Americans are hard to crack. So if they, uh, <laughs> it's right. if they appreciate something, I, you know, I take it seriously. I was deeply humbled and I hope that it, it could be a way to, spread a message to, you know, become the master of your career and create something and don't be afraid. And because it, it really does pay off if you work hard. Mm, well put. But you have to work really, really hard and you have to be willing to sacrifice absolutely everything you have. And then maybe it'll go well. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, but it's true. You just have to put in the work. I mean, it's true. Hard work. Like our like our parents and grandparents taught us, hard work's the key. Listen, I don't believe that your dreams give up on you. I think, you know, I don't believe dreams give up on people. I believe people give up on their dreams. And a um, very good person told me once, you know, kid, you're going to do good, but uh, just don't get out of line. Like, what, do you, <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, well, you're online for something. And if you leave uh... the line, you're going to lose your place in the line. So don't give up. You got to stay online. I mean, if I tell you how many times I almost had my own TV show or I almost had something really, really big and felt like I was on the brink of something huge and then it didn't happen. In those moments, you realize that you can work really hard and something might not happen. But on the other hand, you can work really hard at something you don't even want in life. It's true. And yeah, a we, job that you don't like, so you might as well put it all, bet if you're going to bet the house, bet it on your biggest dream. You know, we've talked to some really successful people on the show, and all of them at some point tend to say that there's this idea that you just kind of walk into it. And, you know, people don't really either talk about or realize that how much of the hard work and the being let down and the things not working out that you thought were going to work out goes into it. Absolutely. You have to just get back up after every time and it, it gets hard. But that time, you know, when you feel like, what am I doing? I mean, this is not, I'm going to go sell wedding dresses at Kleinfeld. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh God. Love that. That's, that's when you have to like snap and like really train yourself to do something extra in that moment because you know, if you keep going back to that, you'll never make it. Well, Rosella, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was amazing to hear your story. And I know Dolores and I are excited to continue to follow along with your book as it comes out and spread the word on that. And I hope some of our listeners will get the chance to get to meet up with you and just follow along with what you're doing. Thank you so much. 
Oh my God, thank you guys. It was wonderful. I hope I didn't talk too much. I do that. No, it's perfect. We love guests <laughs> like you, where you know, just keep talking when the conversation's easy. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. It's now time for the Italian-American Stories segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener sent in, which is exactly what we're going to do today. Those of you that have been following the podcast for a while know that this past summer when I was traveling through Italy, we lost my grandfather, which was sad, but you know he lived a good long life. And... Adam Piatone, one of our listeners, submitted this, what I'm about to read to you, which is very much along the same lines as, as what I went through. So I'll read it for you now. Hi, guys. I'm a, I think you would consider it fourth generation Italian American living just outside of Chicago. These last couple of weeks have been difficult for me and my family because we had to endure the loss of my grandfather. He turned 90 in November. We had a huge birthday party for him. And he even asked me to design an Italian-American-inspired crest that we had sewn onto hats and gave them away as party gifts. But unexpectedly, a week later, he passed away. He was the son of two Italian immigrants. Four of my great-grandparents came from the Ascoli Piceno in Marche. And he absolutely loved being Italian-American, although to him, he was just Italian. My grandfather was my favorite person. He was, is the reason that I am so proud to be Italian-American. The values he had, he instilled in not just me, but our entire family. No one worked harder. No one loved his family more, although he would never say it, than my grandfather. One of the best things about him was his honesty. His signature personality trait was annoying people who annoyed him. That's funny. <laughs> After serving in the World War II with the U.S. Navy, he spent 65 years working as a hairdresser and later running the Midwest Beauty Show. It's a big deal in the beauty hair world. When I asked him why he wanted to be a hairdresser, his response was earnest, to meet women. <laughs> well, he didn't meet my grandmother through his work, but at the time of his passing, they had been married for 66 years. Together, they were, are, the perfect grandparents any Italian-American could have. And yes, I'm a little biased. The support, the love, the food, everything. In many ways, my family is stereotypical, but in many other ways, we are unique. My grandfather is what made us unique, and even though he's gone, I know that who I am today is due in large part to him. I remember Anthony went through a similar situation earlier this year, and I just wanted to say I fully understand and appreciate what you went through, because now I'm going through it. It's tough, very tough. I realized I could have told this story with your audio option, but the chances of me making it through my story without sobbing were slim to none. Ciao for now, Adam. So that was just very touching, Adam. Thank you for sending in. It was a very similar situation. In fact, we had a birthday party for my grandfather. He turned 90 in June, and it was in July that he passed for kind of somewhat unexpectedly. So thank you for sharing it. It's always a tough thing to go through. For me, I'm lucky because... I still have my other three grandparents living, which I think is great for me at this age. And I try to cherish that and take advantage of it. It's something that Dolores and I talk about all the time on the show. And that is to, you know, enjoy your relatives while you have them as much as you possibly can. And I think what was really cool about what Adam wrote there is he really talks about his family and how his grandfather was such a big part of it and how a person can impact a family so much. It's a great segment to end this episode with Rosella because Rosella talks so much about her own family, right? And and her relationship with her nonna, especially. And, you know, Adam's just right along the same lines. And I think what's really beautiful about this and many of the other letters we get is this connection that people feel with all the things we're talking about, right? And it's this community where you can really express to one another this very, it's universal, right, to lose a grandparent, but it's also very specific yeah. when you're talking about it, right, in an Italian-American context. Absolutely. It's very specific and it's very, and because there's such that family feeling, it's a big, it's a right. blow. It's a big blow. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing's the same when that happens. Again, Adam, thank you for submitting it. It was great for me personally to read it and connect with you on that level. And I think many listeners out there listening are understanding exactly what you're saying. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed Adam's message. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rosella from Cooking with Nono. We certainly did. And now I'm going to let Dolores take us out of this one. 
Okay, so we have a promo going on, Amici. Starting today, the first five listeners who go to iTunes and leave us a review will receive one of our Prima La Familia Family First t-shirts. So here's how it's going to work. Go to iTunes, leave a review, and then send us an email and let us know your iTunes name. So, of course, we can identify you, confirm it, and then, of course, get your address to send you one of these beautiful T-shirts. Our email addresses are Anthony or Dolores at ItalianAmericanCentral.com. And by the way, if you want to see what the shirt looks like, if you go to our website and you click blog, you'll see a video with me wearing it and attempting to sing in Italian. You did a great job. I was very impressed. Thanks. <laughs> so while we're on the topic of reviews, I want to read two brief ones, two new ones that we're very appreciative to have. So this one is from Suzanne, who left her name, and she writes, passionate about your heritage and gives us a great five-star review. While I married an Italian-American, I'm a first-generation Spanish-American. I adore that Dolores and Anthony put this podcast out about all things Italian-American. I've researched my husband's Italian family back several generations. So far, my favorite episode is Adriana Trigiani, where she encourages people to travel to the old country now that money spent on experiences is priceless. Thank you, Suzanne. We really appreciate it. And this one is from the iTunes handle is so disappointing, but that has nothing to do with our podcast. It's just that person's name. And his subject is entertaining, very Italian and another five star review. And he or she writes, love to connect because my family is Sicilian. Appreciate love of family. Talk about recipes, tradition, values, and how all of this has evolved or not. Most all of the guests are entertaining, and I enjoy the end of each podcast with listener stories. Thanks to both of you for taking the time to leave those review. And again, if you want a chance to win one of our great t-shirts, now's the time to leave your own. Okay, with that said, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American on Twitter at Ital American, and on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Ciao, amici. Thank you.